welcome to the Vocal Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Lee Martin-Thomas. Join me and my guest speakers as we discuss their journey with their voice and how they use it to support their passions and professions in media, education and the performing arts. My guest this week is singing teacher, dance facilitator and researcher Elizabeth Druval. Elizabeth is based in Ireland and now has a growing international reach thanks to modern technology. She works with children and young adults, preparing them for exams, auditions and professional engagements. And she also works with artists of all genres who experience performance anxiety or need an MOT before a performance. An important part of her practice is her work with community choirs and specialist singing groups such as singing for lung health, Parkinson's and singing for health and well-being. She is currently music director and vocal coach of the Hollywood community choir Bel Canto Singers, vocal coach with Music Generation Wexford and choir director of Children's Opera Chorus for Wexford Festival Opera. It's a real delight for me today to welcome Elizabeth to the podcast and to ask her about her journey into teaching music and singing and tuning into the pearls of wisdom that come from her experience. So welcome to the podcast, Elizabeth. So I'd like to start with the first question, which is, how would you describe the journey with your voice? I would describe it as being really bumpy and as rough as my voice is these days in the morning, I think. <laughs> um, so I, my one ambition since I can remember, as I say to people, was to dance and sing with Fred Astaire. I wanted to be his Ginger Rogers. Oh, wow. And somewhere that dream lasted until I was about 14 and then I found my, I woke up one morning and found myself at a dedicated music school learning classical voice. And in those days, that was the option. And it was certainly the only option my parents knew of because we weren't um, that um, knowledgeable. Um, and there was very, very difficult to get knowledge in those days. There was no internet. Everything had to be done by going to the library. Yeah. Um, it was one of those things. My mother met someone who said there's a music school in Coventry. We were living in Nuneaton at the time. Uh, and off I was packed and it was all free education in those days. So it was lovely. But it diverted me and put in my young head that the only true singing was to be trained as a classical singer. Mm. Uh, and so my, my journey um, and my singing got suppressed so much so that uh, when I finished my music degree, I just ran off and joined the theatre. <laughs> uh, and so I, I started that. a whole different career in the theatre, working uh, in dance and working as an assistant director. And then I got went back to working in opera because I could be an opera stage manager because I could read a score. Um, and so I had a, a whole wonderful career that took me through Covent Garden and Welsh National Opera and all sorts of things. And then um, I kind of found my way again. Uh, and uh, I worked my way back to um, singing to my children and then discovered that really now I woke up 20 years later, there were all these wonderful colleges that trained people how to sing. And so I kind of went back to singing lessons, got interested in teaching. And uh, this is where I am today. That's fantastic. So... Having, a, you know, background sort of training being classical, were you singing, you know, classical arias and that sort of thing? Yes, I was. And um, 
and not really finding my soul, really. Um, I was constantly trying to sound like someone else, which, again, and I think probably still today is what you're encouraged to do. You're encouraged to sound a classical. You're not encouraged to use your own accent because, well, you're singing in Italian most of the time or French or German or whatever. Yeah. Um, and it's received pronunciation. Um, you're um, dictated to, I felt, by the music. Yes, so I was singing classical um, arias not well, which was why uh, I went and joined the theatre. My equivalent yeah. of running away to the circus. Yes, exactly. I was going to say that because I think you, you, uh, music is so personal, isn't it? And the way that we connect our voices with a song and how we carry the story. So first of all, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll confess, I've never really gone there with classical repertoire. There are a few bits and pieces I had to do when I was younger for exams, but it didn't resonate with me because I didn't understand the language, first of all. So I think you have to do, you know, you have to be involved enough to really unpick the language, what it means, what you're communicating, of course. If I was singing a song in English that, you know, had been chosen by the singing, by the singing teacher or the music teacher that was sort of about repertoire and ticking a box rather than exploration and, you know, relating to the music and expressing the sound, it's so different, those two things, aren't they? It's sort of training to do something the way it should be done, the way it's always been done for hundreds of years model, compared to helping people to really connect with their own sound. Yes, and I suppose you reminded me there, um, again, very lucky, actually, in those days, in York, because that's where I did my music degree, I think it's Boozy and Hawks, had a shop and you wandered in and there were these giant bins, those wooden uh, boxes full of sheet music. So actually, I did discover what I really enjoyed singing in that genre, which was art song. So I sang, um, it was the language thing you remind me of. I sang in English. I yes. sang English art song. And I suppose I found my own voice in that. I felt there was me in the poetry. Yes. Um, uh, and the, that lovely duet that you get with the piano. Mm. So I really did enjoy singing those songs and probably didn't really go too far down the foreign languages not great at those yes not have to admit that but it's, but it's part of the I think if, if uh, the people who are brilliant at it love doing it and I think that's massive part of anything isn't it if you don't love doing it you're not going to want to do it you're not going to want to practice I know and I think it's in your ear the art song became part of me and was in my ear whereas um, opera was always detached it, I was almost receiving it a third by third person um so um yes that's interesting yeah that's really. an, it's an interesting way of looking at it so when you decided the classical opera world wasn't for you and you went back into the theater were you still using your sort of voice in a were you singing I mean were you singing in your in your car <laughs> yes I was um and so I, interestingly, um, of course, you can't keep secret um, in, in this business, can you? So people knew that I had a singing degree. And so I did a little bit of voice coaching for actors back in the day. Had no idea what I was doing, but they seemed to be happy. So I, I used it uh, in that way for a while. But certainly I wasn't um, singing and um, I was in a very small bedsit in Dublin uh, and then in London and I certainly didn't want to share my voice um, with anybody really so it was suppressed it was definitely I put it into a different box of experiences okay when you sing now what's your sort of go-to 
this is going to bring me joy at five o'clock in the afternoon? So I opened those tombs of music theatre, anthologies of music theatre. And I am my 10-year-old self looking at the television with the hairbrush. Do you remember how we used to do that? Sing it. Yeah, so that's that's me. Anything to do with the golden age of music theatre. Because uh, really, um, I have a wonderful student who is educating me in the more contemporary music theatre, which I love. But again, it's not in my ear. Mm. So I don't, I don't have, stylistically, I don't sound as though I'm singing a pop music theatre yeah. show. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, the the, the modern musical theatre ones now, you very, well, I'm going to say you rarely, but you don't often so hear the, the sort of legit sound. It's much more contemporary pop rock voice, isn't it, really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm very grateful for her. So you always learn from your pupils. Absolutely. So I, I just say to her, you give me a list and I'll look through and see if I can match it with where you are technically at the moment. Yeah. So we're having a, we have a great, I love my Saturday hour with her. Oh, that's wonderful. So one of the reasons that I wanted to speak with you today, obviously, was about that I'd seen your talk at the Voice Geek conference a couple of years ago. And you were doing your research for your MA at the time. And I just wondered if you if you enlighten our listeners a bit about the, the research project that you did. Yes. So teaching children, which actually applies to adults as, as it's grown, it was the use of imagery. And of course, when I was taught back in the day, you were told to sing, you know, from any orifice, really. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and, and, you're, and really, it clouded me with confusion because for whatever reason, I didn't connect with the imagery or I hadn't got enough technique or experience. I didn't know what the idea of singing through your belly button might be, mm. which I presume was they just wanted you to lower your breath or relax, whatever. So it was, I was quite interested in the research that has gone into athletes and how visualisation, which is a very broad term and needs all sorts of things to different people, how visualisation can help and then I took visualization into imaginative language really so that's where I started from and it was very interesting that you have to develop the language of imagination and visualization and people need some sort of skill it's really when you work with a a pupil it's to develop this common language which can take some time the talk was to do with how the class teacher taking their uh, half hour uh, school class really all of that um, is laying the foundation of future imaginative practices so the role play area at school for the little kiddies all of this is really important and my husband who works in the theater with designers you know he's always saying when someone asks for a table what is in your imagination isn't necessarily what's in mine so that common ground you know is it round square how many legs all of that. So, you know, breathing through your belly button or whatever doesn't mean much unless you've applied some sort of experience to it. So Absolutely. that was the basis of the talk, really. When you were putting your, how would I describe that? Your work-based project in practice with children at this point, what was the outcome? It was great. Well, we all had great fun, which is the primary aim of working with children. Um, it was great because... Um, Having played games of rolling balls uh, and then and I had sparkly balls, which was quite nice. So we were able to see breath 
we we then said, imagine this ball that you're pushing is your breath, for example. And so we'd roll this sparkly ball. And um, they were very clever because the harder you rolled it, the more sparkles we got off it. Oh. Um, I wish I still had them, but I haven't. They all deflated slowly. But um, so... We were then able to, so we were able to take that after a few weeks and all I would have to say was remember the sparkly ball. And of course, that lived kinesthetic experience Mm. was there in their gross motor muscles and then refining it back into their their legerial muscles. Mm. Um, So there was some really lovely things. And of course, now we're into uh, straw phonation and making bubbles and again, wonderful of course they love that and and then you can refer them to a concrete image so really it's referring back to the concrete so you mentioned the earlier that you you like the golden age of musical theater so i'm thinking rogers and hammerstein and are you and even the sort of maybe the jazzy era do you go into that a bit as well or cole porter yeah, I, I, Berlin? I, yes Oh, absolutely. I I can't tell you how much I wanted to walk down the avenue with my cane (laughs) and do the whole thing with the top hat and the soft shoe shuffle. And I think, again, it was the the music of my formative years. My father had a wonderful collection of 78 records or whatever, and these would be put on to put me to sleep at night. And then they were also on the television on a Saturday afternoon, and everybody watched these things, didn't they? Um, So you couldn't get away from that whole wonderful musical experience, really. I thought it was quite interesting in um, relation to uh, the the sad passing of Prince Philip. But I absolutely remember the shooting of um, President Kennedy. I was very young, but I remember that because they stopped all the television programmes and put on some woman singing in opera. which interestingly, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I was appalled at because I remember (laughs) sitting on my mother's knee looking at this woman and an orchestra playing. And uh, where was Listen With Mother or whatever it was that used to be on television at the time? (laughs) Uh, So I do remember that. Music has a connection to times in our lives. I was speaking to another um, friend about this the other day, how we can sort of, sometimes it's like a soundtrack of our lives and they're the music that you're into, say, in your 20s, 30s, 40s and beyond. So I'd like to ask about the music that resonates with you, really, to just find out, you know, what singers do you love and who could you never tire of listening to? Well, I was thinking about this the other day, actually, and and that that whole Golden Song book. And of course, the one singer that I probably admire the most was the voiceover artist for those movies. Uh, And her name is Marnie Nixon. Oh, yes. Yes, I know this lady because she... Well, she did The the King and I, West Side Story, My Fair Lady, the main ones we know, amongst masses of other things she did. So she wasn't on screen, but her voice was being used. That's right, I remember. Yes. Yeah. And I thought, oh, to be that person, Mm. because that freedom of expression and, and applying your art, really, and just knowing that it's you... I don't know how she felt about not being recognised, but I, I felt that there was something quite nice about being in disguise. Yes, I guess, I mean, she could probably just continue to do her shopping everywhere and not get loads of people running over for her autograph. Yeah, I just hope she was paid. Plenty. Yes, I hope she was looked after because you don't like the idea. Because also it just seems a bit 
strange in those days that you would have that sort of dual casting. You'd have the woman in the role on screen looking glamorous, but if her voice didn't hold up, they'd bring someone else in to cover or disguise that. Um, which yeah. in a way is, you know, it's a bit misleading for the for the audience if they're believing that's the the singer's voice in question. But of course it happened very recently with The Greatest Showman uh, when the main character playing the opera singer, although she didn't sing opera, have you seen The Greatest Showman? Past I have, yeah. I, I hadn't realised. Yeah, so the actress playing, um, oh, what was her name? The opera lady, Jenny something. Yeah, so that character was played by an actress who was on screen, but the singing bit that she did on the stage was mimed. And I find it fascinating because when I was watching it in the cinema, there was something about it and I thought, well, it does. It did really look like she was singing it. I mean, she did a brilliant job of, you know, the same shapes and everything. So you'd think on the same place to take a breath. She was very, very skilled at, at disguising that that wasn't her voice. Um, but it did make me feel a little bit robbed afterwards as well. I was like, oh, wait, why, 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 why isn't she singing it? Yeah, you know. yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I suppose as well, um, there was the whole um, La Mis film, wasn't there? Yes. Where I suppose that's a great example of people who can't sing very well. Yeah, <laughs> yes, I have to agree and, with you. And how and how do you feel? I mean, do you feel equally robbed that you didn't get a really good I performance? Yeah, I mean, in some respects, with the Lamers movie, um, I found myself wanting. I mean, with Javert particularly, I I think okay, Russell Crowe, you're a fab actor, and I know he was doing his best. You know what I mean? But at the same time, I think that might have been a case where I wouldn't have minded a voiceover actor when it came to the singing part. Because, yeah, I've seen better Chavez in the West End. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that it is a musical at the end of the day. And watch, and they were, and it was a musical. It wasn't an interpretation. Yes. These people were there and you were expecting some sort of singing performance from them. Mm. Um, and I think it was deeply disappointing what you know now that you might have wished you'd learned sooner so looking back on uh on your career and life and well I suppose I wished I knew that I should have run away to a music theatre college <laughs> uh, but um no I suppose seriously I wish I knew how much your body was important to your voice production and your state of mind that affects your your body. I had a lesson with the wonderful Ron Morris, who oh, yes. trains people in accent method breathing. His, he gave me an exercise that was my breath is in my voice and my voice is in my breath. Just a one note exercise. But that sums it up for me. Mm. Your breath and your body are just so connected. And really, which is where my work's taken me, um, once you've got your body, mind and breath sorted out, then mm. let's get cracking. Absolutely. Oh, we know how important the mind is. Um, we've recently been connecting again on, on this uh, course that I put out there at the beginning of the year about resetting and manifesting what you want in your life, which can be, you know, coming back to voice, because we were talking about how our thoughts inform our feelings and our feelings inform how, I, how we use our voice. It's incredibly connected. Um, is there any, anything you'd like to share about any of that stuff? 
Well, I loved your course, I have to say. Um, it was very informative and very much you could take the ideas and principles into one's own personal teaching, which was very generous of you sharing all your uh, wonderful techniques and very helpful personally to, to have um, attended uh, to have to have attended the course, and I think that um, it's that the mind. I think it, there's no um, uh, coincidence that people will say in those dreadful novels, those romantic novels. Um, you know, her breath, tre- uh, her voice trembled with excitement, or she was choked with fear or grief or whatever. So I just think that all of that is so so very important uh, and I think your course really helped me as a as a practitioner um, explore that uh, and discover you know you're thinking yeah 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 I'm relaxed okay let's get on with it you know that's the equivalent of the man <laughs> in the white man hooting his horn you know to tell everyone come on get on with it uh, but I'm really relaxed you know mm. you're not relaxed at all I suppose it it made concrete for me uh, the importance of really taking time to let go. Mm. So um, some wonderful breathing exercises where you've got time to check out your body. Yeah, that's really important, isn't it? And certainly when it comes to learning, I think that was my primary drive with the whole thing was sometimes I think when I get in a lesson with a student, I can pick up if they're going to receive or not. If something's happened that day, and especially since moving online, and you can see almost see an atmosphere sometimes I think I can pick up on if they've come into the room and they've had an argument with a sibling or there's something going on with their bodies and you can feel they need to let go first before because their voice isn't going to communicate so well right it's an amazing thing about zoom because I found myself saying you know I can feel that you're or that something and I'm thinking how can I feel anything I'm not even in the same room but you're right Mm. somehow you um you know, um, even if I can't see all of the students, you can, I'll say, uh, have you put your hands behind your back? And, you know, they'll go, how did you know? <laughs> but you can hear it, can't you? Yes, absolutely. Um, uh, or, you know, you're standing on one leg. I know you are. And, you know, it's like magic. They yeah. think you're magic. I know. This happens to me. It's really funny. But I think that it's using your intuition as well and being very um, in tune with the person that you're working with and picking up on small things that may, they might not have noticed. It's like people can't bring their baggage with them and we go, okay, let's put all the baggage down first and get to a point where we can then, you know, free up your voice. So, yeah, I'm all about letting the baggage go. I think as teachers, we are so empathetic that that's part of our exhaustion. Yeah. Because we're constantly searching the person searching you know how are they feeling are, are how are they feeling how is our lesson going over are they really understanding what are we getting back from them it's this massive cycle that whizzes around in a lesson or you know they haven't got that so you're trying to think let's let's park that so I, I tend to say if things are desperate, you know, I've gone down a blind alley and it's not going to work. I'll say, let's just put that into our stew pot and let it boil away till next week. That's and then I'll one. think, oh, let's try something else and see if, if it works that way. Absolutely. And I do think that's that being a reflexive teacher is as, as much as important as important as being a reflexive artist in that we have yeah. to mould how we are um, this is why I'm a big, I don't know if I'm just like a believer of maybe ditching the lesson plans a little bit now, because I want to meet people where they are that day. And as much as I can go into the lesson thinking, this is what I'm intending to do today. 
Um, if that's not what I'm meeting on the screen that day, then that's not going to happen anyway. So I've freed up a lot of my time now. Yeah, I used to um, have, I worked in a school so um, for a while and these lesson plans, I just found um, debilitating, if that's the right word, because sometimes I hadn't even met the people. And I used to say, how can I write a lesson plan for someone I've never met? Yeah. How do I, I just can't understand that. I can have a bag of songs or a bag of activities. This is for a singing lesson as opposed to a, a, I'm going to teach you rhythm or percussion or something. Obviously, yes. there's more structure to that. But you're thinking, how do I need to see these people and, feed, as you say, feed off them, yes. feed off their energy, their likes, ask them for their opinions, a bit like the girl I was saying earlier. What do you find most valuable in caring for your voice? Well, now that I really have to care for it, because I'm getting to that dangerous age where I don't want to sound too old, <laughs> uh, I, I make myself drink. So I found um, a pint glass. So I fill this pint glass and I found the minimum amount that I can drink is three pints and then my tea and coffee. So I make sure I have filled this glass three times a day and drink it. And that's working brilliantly. Um, And um, I also discovered that I suffer from acid reflux and maybe an allergy over lockdown. So I can't blame anyone because I've been locked in. So there's no reason to have sore throat and sneeze all the time. So I'm careful about what I eat. I try and sleep as much as I can. And I have to say, I am following the trend. I love my uh, straw in water, Mm. making my bubbles. I just, and I know there's solid science behind it, but sometimes you do feel, is this a placebo effect? Because I know it's supposed to be good for me. But actually it does, it it does work, obviously. And it's the ones in water that, that adds the therapeutic effect and 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 helps that back pressure and yeah and it's also um it's also another great way of getting some sort of kinesthetic feedback Mm. because I noticed that I get very tight just um under my sternum that muscle there uh and I'm thinking oh relax relax so again another practice at relaxing those abs yes uh, and not getting so gripped which um is still there from all those, all those years, years ago, ago. yeah uh, being told off and you're singing lesson constantly never doing anything like in fact here's a shocking statement for your listeners in the 21st century one of my singing teachers gave me a slap because I wasn't doing it right he oh was my so god. cross with me he gave me a slap on the arm Can oh you imagine? my god <laughs> well you'd have him up you'd have him up these days in court wouldn't you oh my goodness it's oh, outrageous I was such a bold girl um oh yeah I don't know what you would have, you wouldn't have done anything to deserve a smack from your teacher, Elizabeth. That's really awful. No, of course you could, you, nobody does really. Yeah. And, but it was just the mindset, wasn't it, in those days? I mean, I, I was still young enough to be at school when boys got the cane. Yeah, yeah. Um, and sadly, um, it was, there was certain vindictiveness about it, I think. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a we had a headmaster in my junior school who um he wasn't allowed to use them anymore, but he had a a, a, a case of canes. I mean, so even if you went into the office and saw them, you were scared because you were like, oh my god, what if he whips one out? <laughs> it's awful, dreadful, it's dreadful, dreadful. Thank goodness we've moved on in the twenty first century now. Yeah, there's um, a lot to be said for um, mindful, caring, empathetic teaching. Absolutely. It's so it's so needed. It's such a shame that we have to push so hard for 
musicianship and music in our schools. Um, but one of the reasons that I wanted to do the, um, I'm developing the reset stuff for younger people is to encourage them to know that their voices are unique. And it's that going through teenage years when everything is about comparing yourselves to others. That's a really tough bit to go through, I think, because naturally teenagers rate themselves. They hear another voice, go, oh, she's better than me. I'm not as good. That kind of stuff. That's that's hard to get through because working alongside your technique, you've also got to work with your mind and how you feel about your voice. And I think what I didn't know back in the day was um, I you went to school, um, then you went to university or a college if you were lucky enough or that's what you felt like doing. And then there was this certain thought that that was it. You were educated, off you go into the world. Nobody mm. told me. There was a vague mention on my last singing lesson um, was um, my, my singing teacher said, now I am not a very large person even to this day, but at the time I was the skinniest of skinnies. And my singing teacher had about a 40-inch rib cage. Wow. <laughs> he was enormously wide to my skinny little eyes as a 20-year-old, 21-year-old. And the last thing he said to me was, well, Elizabeth, we'll just have to wait till you get bigger. And I, all I was I was eye level practically with his ribs. And I'm thinking, how am I supposed to get bigger uh, and again, you know, this was yet compounding uh, a reason for her joy going off and working in the theatre. But nobody said, oh, Elizabeth, your voice is still very immature. Mm. You need to take your time and you've got plenty of that, my dear. Yes. Um, so let your voice grow and don't compare yourself with the very mature 22-year-old who's coming in next, who to my ears sounded as though she was ready to sing in Covent Garden. Yes, you know, yeah. so you're right. That comparison is at a point where you everyone's developing at different stages. Um, and yet we care so much about how we are and not thinking that really doesn't matter at all. Yes. Yeah, that's that's a difficult lesson to learn. I think we all get there in the end. I hope, you know, sometimes it we're in a later stage of life when we realise, actually, we can just step into our own greatness whenever we're ready. We can just be ourselves and, and embrace all the wonders that brings. So it does lead me into the question, what does your voice mean to you? Well, now that's an interesting question because it has meant all sorts of things, starting with the fact that I used to, again, brought up on black and white movies, wanted to speak with received pronunciation, okay. uh, which my Nanitan accent probably wasn't very conducive to. So I never really liked my voice. And then travelling and living in different countries, it, your voice loses its, its sense of focus because you're trying to um, chameleon yourself into other people's dialects really and so interestingly enough it's only been in the last eight years that I thought I'm fed up with this my voice is who I am and um, if you don't like me well you know go and play with somebody else my speaking voice has certainly I've become more comfortable with it and maybe that's partly this journey of of self-discovery uh, that we were, you know, that we uh, yes. again explored on your course, where you just feel good about yourself. Um, and I suppose my singing voice, 
I am still trying to kid myself on a good day that I don't sound as though I'm about to, you know, pack pack up my cage and fly to a different, a higher, a higher, a higher sky. Uh, so that I suppose what I'm I'm trying to do now is to preserve my voice so that it doesn't to give it a few more years because I enjoy teaching and um, I'm beginning to enjoy singing for myself. Oh, that's wonderful news. So if we, yeah. if we were to um, if we were to give our listeners not 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 you singing, but can we have an example of something that you would enjoy that I can put a, you know a link to that someone can go and listen and imagine that you are singing it? <laughs> well, why not? <laughs> Again, going back to the beginning of this interview, thinking yeah. of the younger me in front of the telly. What about Petunia Clark? Yes, uh, downtown. Downtown. Oh gosh, now I'm. This what brings about me, that? This brings me Have back. My mum loved something this. Something that far back. Petula Clark downtown. Now, what does that song mean to you? Then does this, does this transport you back to your sort of like early years? Do you know what? It takes me right back to the house I was living in, the sitting room, one of those nineteen. 19- 70s or whatever sitting rooms uh which were slightly brown weren't they yes uh, uh, and, <laughs> a bit darker uh, in those days wasn't it a yeah, bit darker with the furniture uh, and that one of those enormous televisions mm-hmm. and my dressing up clothes because children did lots of dress had dressing up boxes didn't we yeah. and put plays on with our friends Absolutely. it was all that sort of carry on so me and my dressing up clothes and singing my heart out to my admiring father. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, that's lovely. That's a lovely memory. It's amazing because I think that's oh, yeah. one of the reasons, because um, I'm, I'm locked down with my mother at the moment in Ireland and we're only getting RTE. Every night there's a uh, heartbeat television program on those songs just make me feel so happy because again I think they're just the songs of my childhood really yeah that's like the 60s isn't it heartbeat yeah 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 um, and I have to be really careful with my community groups because we'd be singing (laughs) those songs constantly and I'm thinking not everybody uh, wants to sing uh, (laughs) you know downtown or whatever there was a certain, I do love the, the music of that era, though. There was a certain innocence to it, which I think does, you know, maybe we're lacking that a little bit in our charts these days. I don't know if you ever listen to the sort of music that, that teens are listening to now, but there's usually a lot more language, yeah. more, more serious topics. I, I suppose in some ways we've, we have empowered our singers to express and, and absolutely, you know, sing whatever it is that they want to get out. So you do see a lot more heart, I think, in yeah. some of the youth of today in the way that they're expressing their their issues of the day. And, you know, you're talking about, you know, my training and understand, we're talking about people hearing and being in your ear. But it's amazing because I uh, was lucky enough to go to a few workshops, rock, pop, and just though that little glimmer into that world opened my ears to all the... So I am much more keen or I will I, I'm much more open to sitting and listening to contemporary music because I've been given the key the secret key which I suppose is the same as people finding the secret key to the classical world yes uh, and it's quite exciting because I just love it and I can appreciate how technically um challenging some of those songs are mm. uh, and thinking wow Young people today that are singing those contemporary songs, they have some really interesting ways of using their voices. If you, if I asked you to think about performances that you've witnessed over your time that have really given you those sort of goosebump moments when you just there's something in 
either the music or the voice or the lyric that hits you like a sort of lightning bolt of, wow, that really resonated with me. It's almost like you're taking in the frequency. Yeah. You know, the anything that I see on the West End that involves a chorus Mm. just blows me away. And I think it is that mass choreographed movement with that boost of of whatever they do so cleverly in the West End to get that excitement and that tingle. So it's that synchronicity of movement and sound that I find really gets my heart going. Um, Along with anything by Mozart, particularly Cosi Van Tutti, there's some beautiful, beautiful pieces there. But I think the spoken voice, Shakespeare, um, I was lucky enough to see um, King Lear so I, th- I just think that the spoken voice is, is so beautiful um, and particularly the people that have been classically trained almost, that the expert Shakespearean actor seems to have such control Absolutely. over their, um, their vocal quality. And then you, you said something there about finding the emotion in your voice. Just for a bit of a, a lark over um, Easter, I, I went on two uh, workshops that were for the spoken voice. So these were, which were terrifying for a singer because actors are so open. I just found it so liberating. Uh, And one of the exercises, um, a bit like one of your exercises, actually, Lee, I just felt a little emotional lock because my voice and my soul suddenly connected. uh, And I thought, oh my goodness, this is what singing from your heart actually means. And fancy, you know, quite getting to my age and discovering that. But I, so I'm really keen to pass on some of that to my singers, that vocal freedom. Mm. So, you know, the, the actors were making all sorts of strange noises on their siren opening up. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, uh, I can't seem to do anything. So it got to my turn on Zoom. And I said, you know, well, I said, I, I'm feeling a little bit prissy as a singer. I can't. My voice is just correcting itself. But she took me through this exercise uh, and it was interesting how they embrace the unusual or the weird in their acting vocal vocalizes that we don't really encourage. So my poor students all last week were highly embarrassed as I (laughs) imparted my new excitement yes. to them they kind of roll their eyes going oh god what's done this week I know I get the same from my students but this is the thing is it when you learn new things you just want to pass it on and it's so fun to do that I'm yeah. so glad you used vocal freedom in your description there because that really is why I chose that name for this podcast vocal freedom because for me it's what we strive for as performers to be able to have you know no blockages and lockages at the time but just be completely in the moment on in the performance um, so I'd like to ask you what vocal freedom is to you, how you would define that, but also if you've had moments of like that for yourself and how it felt. So, well, vocal freedom for me, um, and now, you know, having had this discussion, my thought about vocal freedom usually is connected with movement and, and this idea of me throwing myself about and singing at the top of my voice. And normally when I do that, I can actually sing some sort of classical song and I think, oh, this sounds quite 
pleasant. Whereas when you're standing still and someone's saying, now, go, mm. you're going, mm, no, I can't do that. So I think it's much more global. Um, and I had thought about, oh, vocal freedom with me, you know, getting rid of all my um, bumps and crackles on a bad day. But that seems to be quite limiting, actually, mm. almost feels tying and negative. So I think vocal freedom for me would be to embrace whatever genre or song that I'm, I feel like singing and just singing it yeah. and not being bothered. The very lovely Irish teacher, Paul Deegan, who sadly passed away uh, um, as, a, as one of the first people, his statistic is, is a bit sad, one of the first people to die of COVID in Ireland. Um, but, you know, he used to say to me, Elizabeth, if they don't like your concert, they'll just have to go to another one next time, you know, <laughs> someone else's next yeah. time. So uh, that's hard as an artist to think that someone doesn't like you because your concert is you, your voice is you, your, the way you sing something is you. So that's a big deal, really. Um, but maybe I'm getting there. No, and again, bringing in um, something that we covered on your course, you know, that negative voice. Mm. So um, I did a workshop last week for a company I hadn't worked for before and great feedback uh, and everything. And the night went and we did it. And I went, oh, yes, that went very well. They all said it went very well. The audience liked it. Participants liked it. And then the following morning, the little voice wanted to say, well, maybe they didn't really like it, Elizabeth. Maybe they were just saying that, you know, and you just have to say, I'd like you to go away. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, I, 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 yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I, a bit of advice I had recently, um, which was really quite useful, was about parking a little um, mental post-it note against these things when they happen. And I thought, oh, I wish I'd, I'd learned this before we finished our course because I would have thrown it in there as a little tidbit. But it was really helpful it was when when you notice a behaviour repeating that you've sort of kicked yourself for in the past, you think, oh, why am I back here again? Um, you can sort of write a little mental post-it note and stick it over it. So if when it comes up again and your voice starts to say, see, I told you, you're bad at this again, you can go, no, no, I'm aware. There's the note. I left it there last time. And you can start to sort of tell the inner critic to go sit somewhere else and, and feed them off with your inner coach. So I see the notes as quite a helpful little mental there that you know it's brilliant and it so really does work because I actually shut that voice up yes whereas normally uh, it would it would have taken hold and mm. could have spoiled three or four days yeah uh, and it would just keep coming back whereas I just parked it in the first less than 30 seconds yes and the yes. day just went on and I'm thinking this is just so wonderful yeah. you don't have to have yeah. that feeling of negativity hovering exactly yeah it doesn't serve you so we can bat it away and yeah. move on and you're all the better for it that's brilliant oh that's so good what a brilliant story to, to come to an end of our podcast with uh, well thank you so much oh, for inviting me i've loved our chat it's been lovely i've been lovely to get an insight into you know how you work and how you've how you your journey's progressed along the way and i hope we stay in touch and, and i'd love to have you back again so whenever you get your next adventures We'll, uh, we'll invite you back on and talk about it. Lovely. Thanks so much, Lee. Thank well. you very much. Thank you for joining me on the Vocal Freedom Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the episode and we'll move into your day with a bit more vocal freedom, feeling that you can express using your voice and let the world hear what you have to say. Visit colchestervoiceacademy.com forward slash podcast 
Sign up to be kept informed as new episodes are published and consider joining our online community. Membership to this will allow you to post questions to our guests, link you to show notes, social media links, and entitle you to exclusive offers from our guests. See you next time.